Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, it's Brendan here with Mark as usual and we have a fantastic episode as as always, Mark, we always have good episodes, don't we? Well, we think they're good regardless of what everybody else listening think. But this is going to be an extra special one. And before we jump into our news stories and content, Mark, I think you wanted to chat a little bit about basketball. What can you tell you, me? Well, you know, one of the funny things about our podcast, Brendan, is that... Um, it sort of just feels like you and I having a chat and a few other people might be listening in at some point and we can share with them some of the things that we do and some of the things we think about. Um, and I did want to just... I was just telling you off air that um, I've been playing in a number of Masters basketball games um, uh, running up and down the court with uh, similarly aged uh, male bodies um, in various states of disrepair. Um, but your master's at it, by the sound of it. <laughs> I do like... I think it's, um, you know, what, what all the names they could have called them, the senior games, the geriatric games, I like the masters. I like... It has this, um, you know, the... the, the uh, a, uh, um, a, a tone, a, a, an overlay, a, a meaning that I sort of gravitate towards. It's so, always good... So, so you played with the oldies. Played with the oldies. And how did um, it go? It's, 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 well, we lost every game, but um, <laughs> but that's okay because um, if the other, it's, there's a there was a couple of points about the games that I I really wanted to share with you besides the fact that we lost every one um, was that um, uh, there there is as our population grows and particularly for sports like basketball there is a an in, a growing cohort of a certain age who are still, you know, well enough to uh, give some semblance of, uh, you know, a game. Um, and um, and it's interesting, too, that uh, at the, the games that I've been playing at, there's a number of um, sort of uh, NBL and, and former national players, and it's just... I'm fascinated to watch how um, the, you know, the cycle, uh, you know, the people who are aware of the achievements of these people... and Interestingly enough, the young people who are not aware of the achievements of these people. So, um, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. So it's good to catch up with people that you played uh, many years ago um, against, and um, and it does seem that all those uh, highly competitive, aggressive, confrontational things, they melt with the value of some years, and you just remember the good things, Brendan. So how many superstars of basketball... I mean, there will be stars that are playing in the Masters series, obviously, Mark. But how many superstars did you um, did you um, see and play against? And I, I expect you you shot a few three pointers. Um, of course, I shot a few three. <laughs> um, but I, but um, I, interestingly enough, I just play at the point, and I I play a very important distributing role, um, throwing the ball to people who shoot much better than I do. Um, but, um, yeah, there's, there's um, oh, from, you know, from my point of view, and 
particularly because Australia's going so well at basketball at the moment, I just, I've really enjoyed running around with some of the heroes of yesteryear. Well, I expect you're feeling a tad sore after all your games over the weekend, and thank you very much for crawling to the microphone and spending a bit of time to produce, help produce the episode, Mark. It's very much appreciated. Now, the team, so... You need to tell me a little bit a bit more about you said you lost every game but um were there any any games when you were close to scoring the magical win well, yeah there were we were competitive all the way through Brendan and in, interestingly enough the the uh the the competition is um the masters competition at uh, Newcastle where I play is broken up into two age divisions, the over 35s and the over 50s, um, and uh, the over 35s. In the tournament we just played in, had 26 teams, um, but there was there was only two uh, over 50 teams, um, and as you well know, I qualified by some margin for that uh, age category, and um, so we were both guaranteed of in, of getting to the playoffs, so despite the fact that we didn't lose, uh, didn't win a single game, we played in the grand final and came second in our age division. Ah, um, excellent! But we did play against those uh, those uh, more enthusiastic, um, uh, t- younger players who were merely uh, had fifty been, uh, three and a half decades <laughs> of life under their belt, and um, and we we gave it a shake, Brendan. We weren't embarrassed. In playing against them, I'm very proud of you, Mark. So, do you end up with a, a medal, um, or a, or they give you a, what a walking stick each, or something? yeah, no, no, it's, <laughs> it's just crutches to get to the car. <laughs> Excellent, great job, mate. I'm very jealous, as you can probably tell, um, because my basketball days have been over for many years, as as you know. Once I had my knee surgery, my my ability to jump, not that it was fantastic um, years ago. Is, is zilch at the moment, so yeah. So well, I'll, that surprises me somewhat, Brendan, because my ability to jump being zilch hasn't stopped <laughs> me at all. <laughs> well, on that note, Mark, I think you should jump into the first news story, and I th- and you're going to talk about dirt. I, <laughs> you know, I love talking about dirt, um, and this particular story, um, I, it. Um, it's interesting on so many levels. The particularly the thing, one of the things that I really enjoy about it is the um, is the way that um, things that we've sort of had an idea about or we've understood in a small way um, really can can really have a um, a huge you know they can be major discoveries. So the topic I'm talking about is the. Um, is the Canadian researcher who, uh, who on, you know, I, could, I actually could imagine that um, researchers, uh, um, particularly specialists in uh, protozoal zoology, um, that they um, every once in a while, whether on a bushwalk anywhere, would just um, stop and scrape up a little spoonful of soil and whack it in their test tube and take it back to the lab. Um, and uh, in this in this particular case, the, um, the samples that were taken revealed from uh, they were taken from uh, soil samples in Nova Scotia, um, and they um, revealed a a class of organism that 
had been known about but hadn't been able to be researched properly because they were very difficult to um, culture and, uh, and work with in the laboratory. But on a microscopic level, they'd been associated with flagellate uh, protozoans, very uh, primitive flagellate protozoans. Um, anyway, the particular sample that, um, that was collected, um, it showed um, uh, they were able to grow one of the uh, a new species from um, this particular group of animals, which I'm going to try and pronounce. I was going to ask you to pronounce, because I always love it when you um, have a crack at pronouncing unfamiliar words, but um, uh, the, the class of animals are the... Um, Hemimasticotes. <laughs> That's exactly the word I was looking for. Um, and you pronounced it much better than I would have, Brendan. Um, and the hemimastigotes, uh, um, they, the, the characteristic that makes them stand out is that their, their flagella are disorganised. And rather than um, beating in a, um, a rhythmic, um, coordinated movement... Um, they just seem to wiggle them around in a relatively random way and uh, and grab food with them. And um, so they often, are, rather than furry, they look hairy, these um, these uh, um, hemimastigotes. Um, and the particular they, they, they discovered, they've been known for about 100 years, and the new one they discovered, um, hemimastix, hemima, hemimastix kukawaisik, um, <laughs> is named after Cookaway, Cookways, a greedy, hairy ogre from the mythology of the Micmac people who hail from the area of Nova Scotia where the sample was taken. So, um, and then the take-home message here was that um, the genetic analysis, because they were able to culture them and uh, perform DNA analysis, placed the hemimastigotes in a vastly dis distant um, uh, um, taxonomy that they are almost feeling that um, they're going to have to raise a, uh, a you know a completely isolated superphylum um, separate from all the other um, uh, kingdoms um, because they are so different to every other living thing um, so and this is you know, a discovery based on um, something about a species that we're a class of animals that we've known for a while, but uh, because we've been able to identify a particular species that we can culture, um, now we know that they are, you know, they're, they're almost alien. They're so different to all other life on Earth. And how was that, Mark? A random dirt sample taken by the researchers while they were out on a hike. They said, let's they, just. They must be. Fun people to go <laughs> hiking with, and I think I see why you chose this story, Mark. Um, I think you should call your basketball team the Hemi Masticotes. <laughs> Weird microbes, lots of probing hairs, and flail about and grab food. It describes you down to a T, doesn't it? I, I, I think I do have a tip for the name of the new team. Yes. Well, my first, well, and last news story, Mark, because I think we're only going with the two this week, is. It's a good news story, which is a bit unusual for me sometimes. And it's, it's well, it is a very good news story. Well, it has a bit of a, a bad <laughs> underpinning as well. And it is that Canada, Canada, is, has announced 
Let me have a look here. Two, two, not one, Mark, two new marine sanctuaries in the Arctic Ocean spanning an incredible region of 427,000 square kilometres. And the, the, um, the sad underpinning is that, yeah, it won't help protect it from climate change, but it's great to see that um, they've announced these particular places. And it is, well, I'm not going to pronounce this one, Mark, um, the largest of the two new sanctuaries. You can have a crack at it if you've got the article up there. Um, but the Inuit um, name for it um, is the place where the ice never melts. If you'd like to have a crack at pronouncing that, that would be good. It was announced in 2019, August the 1st, and it, it refers to the thick multi-year sea ice that persists throughout the summer there. Um, and the yeah, it's quite spectacular, the photos from this place, Mark. I, have you ever... I'm a little bit off track here, but have you ever been to some of the, the Antarctic or the Arctic? I have not, but I do harbour hopes... Um one of the one of my travel colleagues, um, Andre, um, uh, is taking some guided tours to the Falklands and then then maybe up to um, Canada um, into some of these areas. He's he's recently he's taken a few photographs of the the uh, polar bears in these areas. So so I am hopeful in the very near future of going there, Brendan. That would be. Amazing, and I do know a, a, a friend of mine who I went through university with. Who we 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 have to arrange an interview. She's a a full time author now. At, um, she spent a year down at the Antarctic, Mark, um, and did one of the research vessel trips down there and spent. Well, I, I don't think it's quite a year that they spend down there, but she had a fantastic time many years ago. So we'll have to remember. That's Karen. We'll have to remember to chat to her about that when we interview her. But she's now a full time and very, very um, popular fiction author, Mark, that we've spoken about off-air, so we need to tee up that interview with her. But back to the story in question. <laughs> um, the Yeah, it's... Um, well, it, it will turn this area into one of the world's largest conservation areas, um, and their aim is to support the local food industry, infrastructure and employment needs of the locals there, as well as trying to help protect the environment and stop mining and other sort of um, other types of, um, well, industries that will end up destroying the area there. So it's, it is a good news story, isn't it, Mark, um, I think? It definitely is, and, and look... In my better moments, I I hope that humanity can find a way to um, to stop the existential threat of climate change, um, and this place will be one of the first ones um, that suffers the consequence of those changes if we can't do it. But if we can, then having this area set aside um, will be an outstanding commitment by Canada to ensure that we have these things for the future. And they're doing a great job. Um, in the article, they talk about these two ocean sanctuaries protect a, a marine habitat larger than the area of California in the US, and the creation means that 14% of Canada's marine and coastal areas will be protected, which already exceeds the country's target of protecting 10% of these areas by 2020. So... So great stuff, yeah. So that's my that's my. Good that is news. a good story. That is a good. That is a good story. story. And the sting in the tail wasn't that bad, Brent. Well, that the whole world's going to go to pot um, once the climate change uh, uh, climate 
we realise it can't be reversed. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, but um, it's good to be a half glass full person, Mark. It's good to see. <laughs> well, let's jump into our, our news story. We don't have a review this week. Um, well, sorry, our main topic, and that is another one of our continuing care of series. And, and we've covered this one a little bit in pieces before, Mark, but I thought it would be good to do a bit of a summary of basic turtle care um, for veterinarians and and nurses slash technicians um, when they're when they're dealing with those turtle cases of of clients when they're unfamiliar with with dealing with the turtle patient mark so i think we should jump straight into the obvious first point that i always concentrate with these in that, that is the aquarium setup mark so do you want to do you want to kick it off and, and talk about the basics of the aquarium setup for turtle and we know there's lots of different turtle species um that are kept worldwide but we'll we'll just talk generic about the the re- general requirements um and 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 the main points definitely Brandon, definitely and look i think um We'll try and keep it very general, but obviously we'll have a little bit of a focus on our um, our wonderful Australian um, turtles, uh, just because um, we get to see so many of those animals. Um, and and I think the one of the things I've noticed about our care of series is that there's been a real focus on um, on uh, marine, uh, you know, aquatic animals, animals that. Uh, um, have you know we've talked about axolotls, we've talked about uh, uh, hermit crabs, we've talked about animals that depend on the water, um, and so um, I, I really um, start all these discussions uh, with clients when I'm talking about turtles. Um, I start it with a discussion about uh, water. Um, water quality seems to be um, the uh, you know first hurdle. That's the problem that. Uh, that will lead to all other problems uh, with turtles, and so making sure that the clients have a great understanding. And it needs to be better than just, um, uh, um, you know, introductory level. They need to have a good grasp of what's going on with the water quality and the factors that make it um, uh, good for the turtle. And in addition, uh, one of the things I've noticed about water quality with turtles, Brendan, is that. Um, the things that apply, you know, we'll often have um, aquarium uh, uh, people who are interested in aquariums who have a number of fish, um, and those are the, the the general principles. Some of the general principles apply equally between uh, uh, turtles and fish, but there's some fairly significant differences, and so people need to um, to really be aware of those um, and maintain excellent water quality for their turtles. Yes, and we could and we will spend a whole episode on water quality for aquariums, Mark, for both fish and turtles or any of our our watery marini and creatures, Mark, um, because it's such a big subject and yeah, you, you're spot on there and that there's many things we need to chat to the client about and I think going back one little step there is we need to make sure or or recommend to vets and and nurses technicians that they book these first visit consultations in for you know at least half an hour um, because you're probably not even scratching the surface with the requirements that you need to go through the client when they bring in their turtle for their health check and 
with clinics that are busy, um, or they're not used to seeing unusual pets, they may consider that, oh yeah, we'll just throw that little turtle consult in for 15 minutes or 10 minutes, and gee, you're going to struggle, aren't you, to, to cover everything um, during that period of time. But yeah, the sort of things that we're looking like looking at for water quality are, are the obvious ones, and um, that are related to water testing, and um, again, we'll, we'll cover it in a separate, a separate podcast there, Mark, um, and I basically say it's mandatory for clients to get a water testing kit and the good news with that mark and i don't know whether you recommend this to clients is that you can order these test kits off of online at places like ebay for instance and some of them are quite good quality and they might test for 10 or 10 or 20 um, parameters and for very very cheap um, price you know might only cost them 20 dollars 40 dollars for a kit that will test everything they need to for their turtle aquarium and last for a couple of years or so so i don't think there's any excuse for not doing the water testing but yeah we won't delve into the actual recommendations for for what we have for particular water quality because of that varies um, as far as ph for instance requirements for particular species mark so i think we'll jump on to the to the next item um, that we had in the aquarium set up and that was talking about the size and you know that you know, my, my comment with the aquarium size is that I see a hell of a lot of turtles that are in a tiny little aquarium mark do you see the same it breaks my heart Brendan and um and even um even when people have acquired hatchlings um and they uh have them in you know um, uh, 25, 250ml or 300ml tanks that um, that they just do not have enough space. They, they need that space, first of all, to uh, exercise and uh, perform normal behaviours, uh, but they also need that size to uh, create a stable environment. There needs to be a, a base a le- amount of water in their enclosure um, that allows uh, you know that water to be stable both in terms of temperature and those water quality parameters we were talking about. So we are usually talking to them about um, at least a um, three foot tank for hatchlings. Um, uh, that's something about uh, ninety centimeters um, long. Um, but then we're looking at something you know for uh, an adult, one of the Australian common species, maybe a long neck. If they're going to be kept in aquariums, they need to be uh, literally 120 to 180 centimetres long, I think, Brendan. And unfortunately, there's a lot of them that aren't in a, an aquarium that size. And the difficulty is that a lot of people buy these little little um, tiny turtles and when they do obviously grow, if they're looked after correctly, they get to that size where they need to go into that bigger enclosure and it's not an insubstantial amount to buy one of these big aquariums is at Mark and I think that's what stops a lot of people unfortunately um, from from them going to that four foot five foot six foot enclosure that's required for them but um, it'd be nice to get them in for that very first consult when they have a little turtle and we can go through these sort of things with them and say hey this is a long-term commitment especially with some of these species that last for live for decades and I've certainly seen ones that have been passed on from 
from generation to generation to generation. So the grandchildren are looking after the turtle that um, old grandma or grandpa used to have when they were they were um, youngsters. Um, and it's amazing how many people don't realise that, Mark. Um, I'm still flabbergasted these days when I get somebody in with a with a little turtle and I say, "Hey, do you realise this turtle's going to live? Will will live for tens of years if we do things right with it?" And they just did not realise that. Do you do you run into that? It is. It's a surprising thing, really, because you know, if you generically ask people about long-lived animals, then you know those giant land tortoises that live for maybe a couple of hundred years. Yes. Um, most people commonly have knowledge of that, and I would have thought they'd, ex- you know, extrapolate yes. to, to think that this close relative of that famous case. Um, I'd also have a a, a, a longevity um, uh, discussion. Yeah, but you're exactly right. Many clients will be not even in the zone of thinking about what they're going to do with this animal in even five, ten, twenty, thirty. They they routinely get to um, thirty years and sometimes get much longer. So um, it is a considerable investment in terms of the time that people are going to be doing it for um, but also you highlighted exactly the right point that um, a six foot aquarium is a significant financial investment and um, and not only you know in terms of um, the the aquarium itself and all the infrastructure the stand and filter and, and lights um, but also the just ensuring that the house can hold an aquarium like that um, so there are a whole bunch of factors that, as you said, should be canvassed in the very... Even before people go to get a, yes. a young turtle, they need to think about these things. Yes, so bigger the better for the aquarium size. And there are minimum requirements for aquariums in, in some regions or areas or countries there, Mark, but they're exactly that. They're only minimum requirements set out by legislation and often they're, they're way, way, way too small um, for what's should be adequate for that particular species or any species there, Mark. Um, the, the next thing I'd, I'd, I'd usually chat to the clients about is the cage furniture, what to have in that enclosure. And, and again... There's, it, there's a lot of controversy and, and a lot of, um, well, misinformation, I reckon, Brendan, going on about furniture for total enclosure. Yeah, and it's sad to, to see the enclosures where the client has, has purchased one from a supposedly reputable pet shop or aquarium um, commercial aquarium and they've taken this animal home and the enclosure home and they fill up the tank and they put the turtle in there and the poor turtle's got nothing in there Mark Um, it it may seem great for the human who purchased the turtle because they want to look at the turtle and the whole family want to look at that animal but the poor animal has got nowhere to, to get away and hide and to to explore around the enclosure so it's a it's a really interesting point because i think that we underestimate if you take a turtle from you know in the wild circumstance and i've been lucky to observe them in many circumstances in the wild they are you know they are discreet animals they hide away and if um, they are disturbed uh, in the water. They get down into the deeper levels. They're not used to having eyes come at them laterally and to take their water, make it 
uh, put it into an aquarium which is perfectly clear, set it up on a stand so that they are so, so exposed, um, that is a constant stress on them. And particularly if they've got, you know, nowhere to um, feel concealed. Now, we may still be able to see them behind a piece of driftwood or uh, uh, within some plant material that's in the enclosure, but if they can't have that sense of I'm a bit covered up and concealed and I'm just out here in the complete open, clear water with all those eyes looking at me, that's a constant stress on them, Brendan. Absolutely. So I think it's essential that we have a good chat to the client about making sure there's there's screens there's regions across um horizontally and and um and vertically across the enclosure there so if that turtle wants to get away and hide somewhere so if you're the human looking into the aquarium you cannot see that animal and um that's fine because it needs to have an area to get away from so what sort of things do you recommend mate what sort of actual construction um products in there what 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 are they made of the things that you put in there what sort of furniture items would you suggest people have in their aquarium for a, for a turtle and what's good and what's bad well i think um the the first thing to say about that is that i really like um you know stones and um and driftwood things that make the aquarium look like it's uh, their natural habitat but the key thing about those things, Brendan, is that um, to create the, I like to call it for the clients, the room effect. You want to not just have the turtle exposed, but break the enclosure up into rooms and have some rooms which the turtle can be concealed in. And they don't have to be cubic rooms. They just have to be divisions, as you suggested, both vertically and horizontally, which allow the turtle to explore and find a space where they feel comfortable but um the the enclosure furniture whether it's um uh, um uh, more artificial looking structures or natural looking structures they have to be rigid and firm and set up in such a way that they cannot collapse or tip over or trap a turtle they have to be set up in in you know an arrangement that is fixed whether that's um, to each other or to the wall of the aquarium you just have to make sure that uh, those enclosure items stones or rocks or uh, artificial yes or the artificial plastic type um, products that are mock rock or they look like a look like a little um, cave um, I, I think they work quite well but yeah you're exactly right there Mark and they're so strong aren't they most of these turtles are so good at destroying things in their enclosure we need to make sure that whatever's in the aquarium is is um can cope with that sort of abuse um of 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 the animal in there um what's your thoughts on putting live plants in the enclosure mark how's that going to um help with um environmental enrichment and how, how well are they going to cope in in that enclosure well i think the live plants are going to help significantly with um with uh, uh, environmental enrichment. I think they provide um, uh, aquatic textures and, and uh, waterborne odours that enhance the environment for the turtle. But there are certain expectations of humans that we have to manage. The, the plants that you put in are not going to look like a beautiful 
um, a, a South American Amazon planted aquarium with neon tetras flashing between lovely planted rows of Valesnera. Um, the turtles are going to wreck the plants. Um, if they're short-necked turtles here in Australia, the Emigura species, they're going to eat them. They are largely vegetarians, and all those plants you put in, they're going to have a crack at eating them. And uh, as you highlighted, the uh, long necks, the uh, Colodna species, they they dig. They are predators, and um, they will rake through the plants and uh, tear them apart to search for things that might be edible in them. So the plants will end up being part of the biological load on the filter. Um, they do need to be set up in such a way that they can be managed. I think they enhance the... the uh, the quality of life of the inhabitants, but there are certain uh, reasonable expectations people have to have of what's going to happen to those plants once they put them in. Absolutely, and it gets back to the water quality testing as well. When they're ripping apart those plants, it does put an increased burden on the filtration system and that biological system there, so it, 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 it goes back to making sure the client is doing regular water testing to ensure that it doesn't put too much pressure on the system there, Mark. But, yeah, they like to rip things apart, don't they? Um, it's, oh, yeah. It's like the old saying about bird, parrots, isn't it, Mark? They like to um, make small things out of big things um, and, and rip things apart. So and my general comment to clients about that, their next question they will ask me will be, so what plants can I or should I or shouldn't I put in the aquarium, Mark? And my, my throw throwaway line there to them is basically go to the aquarium, select any aquarium plant that's in the aquarium and use that and vary them. Um, you don't have to get too pedantic, in, in my opinion anyway, and select plants that that are traditionally found where that native species um, is occurs in the river system and it lives in Mark. Um, that's usually what I recommend. Um, would you say that's, that's valid or I'm doing something wrong there, Mark? No, no, as usual, we're on the same page there. I think it's very, very difficult to... Um, and, and it is one of the things, particularly here in Australia, where we have um, uh, turtle populations that are distinct in each river system... Um, it's very, and they do have slightly varying um, characteristics. It is difficult to mimic some of the the behaviours in the wild that they might be. So one of the interesting ones for me is that in central Queensland, some of the short-necked turtles would feed largely on fallen tropical fruit for a significant part of the year. Um, and uh, I don't think that's a, um, you know, I don't think that's a good way to a good thing to try and emulate. It's very difficult in an in an aquarium or even an outdoor setup to mimic that sort of wild behaviour. Um, so I think that it is perfectly reasonable to do that. Uh, find out whatever plants are relatively inexpensive um, that uh, that you know they're going to be destroyed. The turtles are going to either eat them or tear them to shreds. Um, and uh, they uh, provide them with uh, regular variety, um, and uh, and I think that's a perfectly acceptable thing to do. Phew, I was a bit worried there for a minute that you would, would tell me that I was doing something completely 
inappropriate, Mark. Um, as you know, I'm prone to doing that. Um, and you're constantly telling me off. And we will talk about diet shortly um, in, a, in a little bit more detail. Um, so, yeah, furniture, um, including the plants there, Mark. Um, and the other two things I always need to talk to the client about with their aquarium setup is heating and lighting, Mark. And, gee, it's another another huge area isn't it um where do we go with that one um the heating one well i I just i'll throw in a couple of quick quick points there mark um with our um aquarium set up um with the species that work we're certainly commonly dealing with um we do encourage a dry land area a little dock area within the aquarium and on that dock area there is a separate heating lamp over one section of the dock area, so that's so, Brendan. I've got a bit of a. I've, I've been thinking a lot about this just recently, um, because I make exactly, precisely the same recommendation that there is a haul out, and that haul out has a uh, has a particular, um, you know, has a ba- it's a basking site. We want them to uh, be exposed to uh, warmth at that point, <coughs> but. The turtles spend 99% of their time in the water and I think it's really important to um, know that they're probably only getting out... I reckon they only get out of the water to bask um, for, for, for a little bit for thermoregulatory purposes. But I actually think that... Um, that's way down the list in their mind and they actually are getting out to bask for other reasons um so is that the way you see that happening yeah i think it's i think it's providing the option for them to do that and i I think you're spot on with the fact that they probably don't bask as often or as frequently as 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 people may think but they may be, they may, do, and that's where having that basking area ideally would be on a little bit, if it, like, like a little ramp mark. Yes. So they can come up on that and they can sit so they're still in the water and they just have their little top of their shells sitting out and their little little nostrils sitting there. And, and I, I'm sure you've seen it at, at zoos and sanctuaries, Mark, where the turtles will be sitting a bit like a, the way the crocodilians sit there and that they're just, um, but they're resting against a, a submerged rock. Um, um, and they're using that as a as a method to either oh, just they just want to hang out there, Mark, or perhaps they're using that as a method to to sit and and um, wait for some um, wait um, for a mate or to um, look around for some um, food items or whatever. So, I th- I, I think. It's it's just it's a bit like what we talk about with any sort of reptile enclosure, providing the option for the animal, whether it's heating or lighting or, or a basking area, it has the option of doing that. Um, if and not having the option for a basking area, in my opinion, is 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 not having an adequate um, aquarium set up for them. Mark, um, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, entirely. And the other comment I often say to clients is hey I tell you what um, when you walk in the enclosure for instance a lot of people keep their aquariums in the lounge room um, when you come in the front door and you walk into the kitchen slash lounge room area of your of your house do you hear a splash as soon as you come in the door and it's amazing how many clients will say yes I do um, because that turtle feels much safer in the water and 
again, um, we have the Yarra River around the corner from us here, and I've seen it plenty of times when I'd see a long-necked turtle which would be sitting on a rock basket, for instance, on a rock, and you get within about 200 metres of it, and it jumps in the water. So... Um, I then, and if the client's are really interested in, in studying that behaviour, Mark, I say, look, set up a little webcam over the aquarium and when you're out, out of the house, um, you'd be surprised that the animal does get up and bask or at least hop out of the water on that little dock um, when you aren't there in the room um, because it's common for the clients to say, look, he's never on the basking area, um, but it probably they do, is they, when they you're really not there. get stressed about it. That's one of the things that um, you, when you're doing that initial consult, I think you do have to yes. highlight that, that, that while you're watching, they're unlikely to spend a whole lot of time on the basking site. But it's still, and I like your turn of phrase, options, options to explore and and um, conduct a variety of natural behaviours. We need... It's almost like a mandatory responsibility for us, uh, all of us who are involved in keeping these animals, to provide them with all the options. And they are not trying to hurt us when they don't take up those at the particular time we'd like them to, but it's really important to do. Absolutely. So, basking area. So, what about heating, Mark? Um, do you recommend heating in the enclosure? And let's not talk about specific requirements for f- specific species. We routinely do recommend heating, and there are some species um, from particular um, locales that would probably cope with relatively cooler, warm uh, uh, water at room temperature. But routinely, we're talking to people about keeping. Um, the temperature, you know, putting a heater in the water, <coughs> setting up the water so that it uh, it um, provides a, a, a context, a, a, th- a thermoregulatory environment um, that the uh, turtle can um, manage its metabolism at. Yes, I mean the ideal aquarium, and there's not many that I've seen like this. Probably some of the bigger zoos and and um, commercial aquaria would have almost like a, a beach area, Mark. Um, so you would have a, a deeper area of water which would be cooler and you would have a beach-type area which would obviously be a little bit warmer. So, um, you, again, you're given the option of that turtle to potentially come out to the shallows and warm up a little bit or go into the, to the deep areas of the of the equivalent of the river or whatever sort of... Um, region that um, we're trying to um, simulate in there but gee it, it takes a lot of money to do that and I've only seen the the odd client mark I don't know whether you've seen um, that have that have spent lots of money and and probably the the one that stands out in my mind with that sort of setup was a owner that had crocodiles mark and they converted their whole garage section and spent um, many thousands of dollars and they had a waterfall and a beach and um, it was just amazing this setup mark and um, they measured different temperatures um, in the enclosure for that um, for that water region for that uh, crocodilian and um, yeah that would be my perfect setup for a for a turtle as well but um, yeah then we're talking big dollars with doing that mark what about lighting so what what sort of options do you recommend for lighting well, I think, um, like many of our reptiles, we need a uh, diurnal cycle. We need a cycle of light and dark. Um, but we also need, and I really think this is important in the in the region of the basking site, 
Um, we like to have full spectrum light so those turtles get exposed to ultraviolet light which assists in their calcium metabolism. This is critical when they're young and growing. Um, and once they're adults, they do tend to be a little bit more resilient, but their general health is improved and their bone quality, their immunity, um, a whole bunch of um, calcium-dependent metabolic processes are improved if they have full-spectrum lighting, Brendan. Yes, and I'm still surprised at the number of clients that come in and say they were told we don't need any sort of specific lighting. We just put any type of globe in that reptile enclosure for that turtle or that aquarium for that turtle. So, And then I go down the track of talking about the importance of UV lighting. Well, it's not just it's UVB, it's also UVA. So it is that full spectrum, as you mentioned there, Mark, for all species, whether it's a reptile, mammal, bird, and, um, yeah, and potentially even our invertebrates as well. So, yes, and it's another another one that we've we spent a little bit of, of, of previous episodes and people can go to vetgurus.com, our listeners, and do a search for UV lighting and um, you will see that we go into detail a fair bit, especially regarding reptiles and UV lighting in previous episodes, Mark. Um, the next thing I'd like to chat about as far as general turtle care, Mark, is, is the possibility of having a feeding tank. Do you recommend that to clients and what is that? Well, we do recommend it to clients. It, we, there are some uh, conditions, some caveats on it. So the general principle is that um, uh, that if you are feeding particularly the predatory species, the carnivorous species, um, in their aquarium, then um, you are likely to put a much heavier biological load on the filtration system of that aquarium and there's likely to be more particulate matter particulate waste matter um, and um, and as well uh, there's can in particularly in tanks where there's uh, a number of turtles there can be aggression between individuals within the tank and so to have a number of tubs or uh, um, buckets um, whatever um, waterproof containers that you can manage um, and moving the turtles to those locations um, and letting them have access to prey um, in there. They'll often, um, like many reptiles, eliminate uh, at the time they're becoming more active to um, hunt prey, so that lowers the uh, waste products from the turtle to start with. And um, it, in addition, it means that uh, broken-off bits of uh, prey or uh, whatever don't contaminate the substrate and put pressure on the biological filter. Yes, well, you've answered that one perfectly, Mark, and I'd summarise it exactly like that with the clients. And the only other thing to really stress to the clients is that, yes, you need water in that enclosure for most of those turtles will not be, if not vast majority, if not all of them, will not eat unless they're in in the water, Mark. And I usually suggest them they just take some of the water out of the tank, put the turtle and the water in that little feeding tank there, Mark. And, yeah, it'll take the pressure off the system. You can then feed your turtles individually, as you mentioned there, Mark, and you can see what they are or aren't eating because, you know, that, that if they feed them in the, in the aquarium, if they are just chewing on the 
food you're putting in there and not not swallowing it you may not realize or the client may not realize that they haven't eaten mark and that um that organic material has been taken up by the filtration system and they think gee why is my turtle losing weight um well it's it's trying to eat but it can't eat Uh, might be a possibility with those ones there and speaking of diet mark i think the last thing we were going to chat about with our summary of this is what sort of things do you recommend or what's your general tips about um, feeding turtles in a in an aquarium set up at home well there's a couple of important things i like to mention um one is that I'm, i must admit i'm not a like lots of people like to stick living things in with uh predatory animals and and um enjoy the hunt as it were i'm not a big fan of that brendan and I think it does make, uh, potentially make things, you know, there's always, with any live prey, um, there's always the possibility of parasite problems or the introduction of unfamiliar bacteria. So I like um, having, uh, you know, prepared food and it depends by species. We've already highlighted that um, many of the Australian short-necked turtles are largely, if not um, exclusively vegetarian. They'll eat meat. Uh, but it might not be healthy for them. Might put some extra pressure on their um, their, their uh, kidneys, in particular, getting rid of those uh, nitrogenous wastes. And um, and uh, certainly, we need to make sure that uh, just for any carnivorous animal, for any carnivorous animal we're dealing with, but particularly for our turtles, we need to make sure that we're not just feeding them meat. Um, they, they, uh, how many times I've talked to people who have um, just had strips of meat or uh, little balls of mince as the primary diet for those carnivorous turtles. It will take a bit of time, but inevitably it will lead to, uh, to, um, to health issues, particularly um, the, the uh, calcium to phosphorus ratio to do with the meat will interfere with the deposition of bone in the shell and shell health issues definitely become a problem yes and that's where i'm always wary about clients who are feeding their turtles almost exclusively on the pet shop prepared blocks of turtle food mark because as far i have never i don't know whether you have i've never seen any of these sort of homemade turtle blocks these little blister packs of of food uh where there has been an analysis done um by the pet shop and they have on there what percentage of calcium and phosphorus and vitamin d etc is in it because they're literally made up they make literally made up they make up the um product and it probably varies week to week um day to day because they just decide okay what have we got left over we'll put that in in this particular turtle block this week having said that there may be some that have reasonable products in there um but gee it's you're playing lotto aren't you with with, um with um guessing whether or not um it's adequate there and and my general thoughts and comments to clients are that you only feed those sparingly if ever at all but variety is the key with feeding these turtles mark and 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 the second point i usually make to clients is go back to have a think or look up do a google search and look up what that particular species eats in the wild and then we try and relate things back to that is it is it primarily vegetable matter for that species as you as you're sort of talking about 
just a few minutes ago. If it is, then, then we think, what can we substitute if we can't get that particular plant? What other things can we offer this, this animal? The other thing that's uh, worth talking about quickly with um, feeding turtles is that uh, there are a number of companies overseas who make turtle pellets, foods that are dried and can be bought in little tubs. Yes. Um, and many of our pet stores uh, retail those. Um, but uh, unfortunately, those, uh, those pellets are unlikely to be ideal for our Australian species. They're more suitable for um, uh, omnivorous species, from, particularly from America, uh, where there is some limited nutritional analysis done. Um, but um, but certainly I've seen problems with uh, both short-necked and long-necked turtles because those uh, pellets are not designed to to be a, a, a um, an entire uh, diet, an entire feed ration. Um, they might, as you said, Brendan, might uh, be suitable for you know in an emergency situation once or twice a year. But um, people need to look at the the uh, what the animals actually eat and not depend on those pellets. Yes, so unfortunately we can't do a generic feed X or Y to turtle species because there's so much variety as far as what we should or shouldn't be feeding them, um, not only um, worldwide but even within our Australian species that we commonly see here, Mark. But perhaps in a future episode we can cover individual species and we can go through it in um, we can drill down in more detail about the particular care for an individual turtle species for instance the australian eastern long neck turtle mark which is commonly kept here in australia obviously um we may consider doing a, a, a particular podcast on, on that species um if you want a particular species covered, well, send us an email, um, vetgurus at gmail.com or jump onto our website, vetgurus.com and search through our previous episodes and, and drop us a line and it looks like it looks like Mr... Outro has jumped in already mark so we'll talk to you all next week thanks for listening thanks for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time